Hi, this is Joni Mitchell, and you are listening to KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles and 98.7 FM Santa Barbara. Hi, I'm Margaret Cho. You're listening to KPFK, listener-sponsored radio. Public radio is important because it's so much better than private radio. KBFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. KPFK has been on the air nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, next year, 366, since July 1959. The second Pacifica listener-sponsored non-commercial educational radio station after KPFA in Berkeley invented the concept and made it a reality in 1949. We are in our August membership fund drive. Go to kpfk.org and pledge securely online or call 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK and press number two. This is KPFK Rebel Alliance News. Good evening. I'm Angela Birdsong. Here are today's headlines. Los Angeles County to provide free phone calls and robust programming in the Los Angeles County jails. More on the Ryder Guild strike and hotel workers rolling walkouts. Black man at work is attacked on Alabama riverfront by several white men. An Iraqi woman who went viral on social media attempting to save a Quran from desecration in Denmark has been identified. More international news with Don DeBar and Polina Vasiliev. The community calendar, all this and more coming up. California Governor Gavin Newsom signed Senate Bill 1008, the Keep Families Connected Act, authored by Senator Josh Becker into law, which would provide free phone calls in all state prisons. This law went into effect January 1, 2023. Shortly thereafter, on January 6, 2023, President Joseph Biden signed into law the Martha Wright Read Just and Reasonable Communications Act of 2022 to ease the cost for prisoners to contact their loved ones specifically by setting limits on fees on audio and video calls inside correction facilities. In 2021, the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors unanimously supported two motions to examine the feasibility of providing free phone calls in the county jails to relieve and remove this financial burden for families, including profit markups on commissary items. The motions also called for a comprehensive audits by the audit controller of the inmate welfare fund and whether these funds were utilized in the service of those who are incarcerated, given antidotes from people who were incarcerated. 
For example, there are claims that the funds have been used to fix plumbing issues or leaking toilets, which are the fiscal responsibility of the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. These maintenance costs should come out of its budget, not the budget of those the fund is supposed to benefit. Studies show that communications with family and friends is incredibly beneficial to someone's mental well-being and is a factor in reducing the risk of recidivism, especially during a stressful and difficult time in their lives, has been shown to reduce misconduct in the jails by lowering anxiety and tension. The cost of communication, however, continues to be a hurdle and obstacle for incarcerated individuals to stay connected to their families and social support system. Former FCC Commissioner Mignon Clyburn said that, quote, incarceration is a family matter, an economic matter, a societal matter. The greatest impact of an inmate sentence is often on the loved ones who are left behind, end of quote. Also to note, the profit from the phone calls the county received, along with the price markups on commissary items, are placed in the inmate welfare Fund, which is used to is which is to be used for programming services, services and maintenance of the facilities, but a large portion of the funds went toward staff salaries and employee benefits. Per a directive by the board and the Civil Brand Commission, surveyed people who are incarcerated in the county jails, and the results confirmed that. What has been largely known by the board, that is the vast majority of the population who are incarcerated, want programming. However, a very small percentage either know about these programs, know how to assess them, or even qualify to participate in the programs. The small percentage who has participated in these programs start, stated that they benefited greatly from them. And those who have not participated in a program indicated their desire for educational and vocational programs. Regardless of the cost of the phone calls, tying the loss of revenue and profits, profits generated by people who are incarcerated and their families should not be dis- the deciding factor on whether L.A. County provides free phone calls to people who are incarcerated. Whether that revenue exists or not, Los Angeles Sheriff's Department is still responsible for providing programming to incarcerated people and maintaining the jails where they are incarcerated. Not doing so is antithetical to care first and is putting profits over people. The Board of Supervisors requests the Sheriff's Department and direct other relevant departments to provide free phone calls for people who are incarcerated in all Los Angeles County jails no later than December 1st, 2023. The board made other requests, some of which includes revisit policies and procedures to allow for more community-based providers, including those providers with lived experiences, to provide resources and services in the county jails, including re-entry opportunities. Also develop partnerships with educational institutions to provide educational opportunities for people who are incarcerated, ranging from English as a second second language classes, citizenship classes, high school classes, general education development 
certification courses, associate, and other higher education courses. To read the full motion, you can view the County of Los Angeles Board of Supervisors weekly agenda on their website at bos.lacounty.gov. Elsewhere, seven inmates in New Haven, Connecticut, have earned an associate degree in general studies, making them the first graduates from the Yale Prison Education Initiative, a joint initiative between Yale University and the University of New Haven. In May 2018, the Yale Prison Education Institute began teaching incarcerated students at the Mason Youth Institution. With the University of New Haven's involvement in 2021, the program expanded significantly, leading to the establishment of a degree-granting program for incarcerated individuals. Participants in the program received their associate degrees, and they also have the opportunity to pursue bachelor's degrees. Over 130 faculty members, staff, and graduate students have dedicated their efforts to educating these students, contributing to the program's success. Blacknews.com reports that Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont delivered an emotional commencement speech at the graduation ceremony saying, quote, I loved hearing the pride you have in yourselves and what the ceremony is all about. I heard from most of you that you define your own futures. You learn from the past, but you define your futures. I believe so much in this program and what it means. End of quote. The writer and actor strike that has paralyzed Hollywood is part of the ongoing hot labor summer strike of 2023, becoming the biggest moment for strikes since the 1970s. In Los Angeles, hotel and restaurant workers are holding rolling walkouts. At the same time, United Parcel Services Incorporated unions just reached a historic agreement to avoid a massive strike. If negotiations fail, Detroit's big three automakers will likely join in the coming weeks. Amazon and Starbucks workers have tried to unionize and make some gains. Yesterday, thousands of City of Los Angeles workers walked off the job for 24 hours to protest unfair labor practices. The bottom line for most of these actions is pay and benefits and a moment of soaring corporate profits, high inflation, and a larger question. Why can't much of corporate America appropriately compensate their workers and professionals? Ethnic Media Services Briefing brings experts providing the frontline view of striking workers and the point of view of labor experts on the larger issue at stake. Jorge Rivera, Vice Chair of the Latinx Writers Committee, Writers Guild of America West, TV writer and producer, discusses incomes in the entertainment industry and notes that Hollywood is largely blue collar. But if you look at, at the end credits of any television show or any uh, feature film, there are hundreds of names there, literally hundreds. And out of those hundreds of names, there's a Jennifer Lawrence and a Harrison Ford who are making millions. And everyone else on that list, if they're lucky, are, are making, you know, a hundred grand a year if they're very lucky. Uh, and, you know, so that's the thing we have to remember. Like Hollywood um, is, uh, is largely a blue collar industry. 
Um, the people that work on these shows are craftspeople. There are carpenters and painters and builders and teamsters who drive the trucks and hairstylists and artists. And yes, there are background actors and there are writers involved, but those background actors are not making a lot of money. The, the SAG membership is 160,000 members, right? Out of those 160,000, the average income for an actor is 26,000 thousand a year which is barely enough to call which is under twenty six thousand a year which is barely enough to qualify for their health insurance rivetta further explains tech's impact on hollywood's economic model how streaming services destroyed hollywood's living wage and then what happened was in the early aughts entered the uh streaming platforms which is basically the tech the tech economy coming into hollywood so that model was very different. It did not rely on ad sales. It relied only on subscriptions. So there was no ad revenue from first runs. There was no ad revenue from reruns. There was no ad revenue from uh, syndication. And there was no DVD sales because who needs to buy DVDs when everything is available, at a, you know, when you turn on your TV at a, at a moment, at a touch of a button. So that really decimated this business model that has been working for the last 60 years. And even though we won residuals uh, into the, in the 2007 strike for streaming, uh, no one really anticipated how things were going to play out. And so what you have now, amongst among many different effects that that business model has had on the business, the big one, one of the big ones, is that residual checks have greatly reduced the, the amount. So now where actors and writers were getting, you know, a $10,000 check for their work because the success of, the, of a show generated that kind of revenue. People are getting uh, checks for like $3 and $4 for the same kind of activity around a show. Streaming companies have shrunk budgets. And so instead of 22 episodes a year, which kept writers and actors working almost the whole year, uh, you have eight and ten, short orders of eight and ten, which keeps people in work for maybe twenty of you know twenty weeks tops, and sh you know so short orders and mini rooms and cutting the budgets and combining uh, jobs of support staff has really uh, reduced the amount of possibility of having a sustainable career. Like it has become a gig economy as opposed to a sustainable economy, a sustainable career that would uh, keep you working all year round, but also uh, afford you health insurance and also have a path towards retirement with pensions. All of that is gone. Otto Briseño, co-president Unite Here Local 11, describes the working conditions of hotel employees and explains the demands they have for management. This is the largest strike in the hotel industry uh, and what they've seen. Um, the hotel industry is making profit records beyond pandemic levels, while our workers are struggling. They're struggling with the high number of inflation and the unbearable cost of housing. We see them couch surfing, taking shifts and renting rooms. If you work in the AM, you rent uh, the room in the PM and vice versa. We see them sleeping in their cars and they're one paycheck away from home from being houseless. We know that they have to, you know, travel two or three hours to make it to work and that this is a burden in in their lives. But this is what leaving the backbone of the hospitality out uh, means uh, and what it creates. This is corporate greed at its best.
Our members have voted to strike. This contract includes about 15,000 of our workers. And in 43 hotels, we have struck already. We have had strikes in Pasadena, in downtown LA, in Santa Monica, in Anaheim, in Irvine, in Dana Point, LAX, Beverly Hills, and many, many other cities. The company has come to the table and has made no movement. So we are going to keep pushing. Our demands are very simple. We want to keep hotel workers with a roof over their heads, wages, pension, health care, and workload issues are our top key issues. Lucero Ramirez, a hotel worker participating in the walkouts, explains what she hopes to accomplish with the strike. As Pilar Marrero, associate editor of Ethnic Media Services, host of this briefing, provides the English translation. Um, Lucero, cuéntanos un poco más de cómo estás, uh, qué es lo que tus compañeros quieren con esta huelga. Uh, tell us what your, you and your co-workers want with this strike. Uh, queremos, obviamente, que nos aumenten un salario, un salario digno, uh, la pensión, el seguro médico, y que traigan los, los niveles de empleados como antes de pandemia, porque ahorita, después de la pandemia, todos tenemos que hacer el trabajo de dos o a veces hasta tres personas. Ok, she says that, uh, of course, the, the salary, the pension, the health care, uh, improvement in the salary, but also that the hotels bring up uh, the number of workers, because after the pandemic, uh, they they have less workers, and the workers that remain have to do double the work that they used to do before. Watch the full briefing at ethnicmediaservices.org. I'm Angela Birdsong with More Than a Sparrow Productions, reporting for KPFK News. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. KBFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. This is Stanley Clark. Free speech radio can't survive without your generous support. Become a KPFK sustaining member now by pledging $1 a day at kpfk.org. Become a sustaining member. Your donation is tax deductible and membership has its privileges. I am a member, so join me, Stanley Clark, in keeping independent radio alive. Donate to KPFK at kpfk.org and do it today. Yes, Stanley Clark, we are joining you for sure. I'm Angela Birdsong, and you're listening to KPFK Alliance News. Yes, become a sustainer, giving you consistency in your membership with us. Go to kpfk.org and pledge securely online or call 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK and press the number 2. And remember, we have a premium gift for you for a donation of $250. You will receive the Voices That Change the World, a USB flash drive full of Pacifica archive goodness, over 1,300 hours of historical speeches of revolutionaries, visionaries, and activists who worked for the betterment of this country. 
and the world. There are about 11 categories describing this extraordinary premium. And one of them is 65 years, 65 voices, 65 voices. Wow. Each recording in this compilation was chosen for Pacifica's 65th anniversary because it uniquely exemplifies the quintessential Pacifica sound. The result is a well-rounded and rich tapestry of the history of Pacifica radio through the voices of Langston Hughes, Elsa Knight Thompson, Jessica Mitford, Dylan Thomas, Lena Horn, plus dozens more. So go to kpfk.org and pledge securely online call 818-985-3 818-985-5735-818-985-KPFK and press number two and receive the voices that change the world so remember to donate renew or become a member or join the sustainer circle okay Montgomery, Alabama officials hold a news conference after Damian Pickett, co-captain of the riverboat Harriet II, was attacked by several white men along the Montgomery Riverfront. Good afternoon. Again, Chief Darrell Albert, Montgomery Police Department. The incident occurred between the co-captain of the Harriet II vessel and a private boat owner and his family. As the Harriet attempted to dock in its designated space, designated and reserved due to the gangway access as well as the mooring requirements, the private boat was docked in its space, prohibiting safe docking of the Harriet. The captain of the Harriet remained away from the dock for nearly 40 to 45 minutes as he attempted to contact the operators of the private boat via PA system. They were only responded to with obscene gestures, curse words, and taunting. The co-captain was then picked up by a separate vessel and brought to the pier in an attempt to have a conversation with the private boat owners and or have those boats moved so that the Harriet could dock. A confrontation ensued between the co-captain and Mr. Pickett, the co-captain, being attacked by several members of the private boat. Several members of the Harriet too came to Mr. Pickett's defense engaging in what we all have seen since on social media. I'll give you a timeline as to the way the calls came in and the Montgomery Police Department's response. The original call came in at 7 p.m. as a typical disturbance. The caller, who was the captain of the Harriet, was very calm and not in distress. As additional calls were received, at 7.15 p.m. the call was dispatched to the Montgomery Police Department. 7.18, the first units, four Montgomery Police Department officers arrived on scene, with three shortly thereafter. Thirteen individuals were detained and brought to police headquarters for questioning and interviews. Those interviews lasted several hours. At that time, 
all parties involved were released pending further investigation, but were all given instructions on how to secure warrants on combatants. We have since consulted with and are continuing to work with the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency, our state police agency, the Montgomery's DA's office, and the local office of the FBI. This investigation is ongoing and more charges are likely. We encourage the public to continue to send us additional videos or evidence relating to this case. Those can be sent to Star Center at MontgomeryAL.gov or at our secret witness, 334-625-4000. The victims in this case, the co-captain, Mr. Damian Pickett, black male, and a 16-year-old white male juvenile who was struck by the owners and operators of the private boat. The suspects thus far have been identified as Richard Roberts, white male, 48 years old, with two outstanding warrants for assault, third degree. Alan Todd, white male, 23 years old, one warrant for assault, third degree. And Zachary Shipman, white male, 25 years old, uh, one warrant for assault, third degree. We have instructed those individuals to turn themselves into law enforcement and as uh, at this time, uh, one is secured and in custody, the other two are set to turn themselves in. We're also asking for Mr. Reggie Gray, the black male, 42 years old, who was seen wielding that folding chair to contact the Montgomery Police Department for further interviews and as part of this investigation. As the mayor said a minute ago, this investigation is ongoing and more charges are likely. We want to thank the public and the media for supplying the much needed evidence and video surveillance uh, that we've received and that helped us to determine the facts as they happened. Keep in mind, when incident took place, when it initially took place, the police department didn't have the luxury of the videos that we all have seen now. The police department was acting on statements and witness statements um, that occurred as we arrived. Now that we have more information, again, more charges are pending. And, and in closing, I just want to, you know, appeal to the public that this incident is isolated. It will be over soon. We're going to continue our investigation until we put this to rest. But make no mistake, our Fusion Center, our state police, our partnering agencies, we're all paying attention to what's going on and in terms of any possible retaliatory acts, don't come here with it. We're not going to tolerate it. We will uh, be active, we will be aggressive, and we will not allow this type of behavior in our city. That's the message to the community. And uh, again, thank everyone, thank the public. Please continue to send us those uh, bits and pieces of video that you have out there. We're, we're reviewing each and every one of them for content, and we will utilize those as best needed. Thank you very much. This is the Kingpin Shaheen from legendary Infinity 4FCs, giving a shout out to KPFK 90.7 FM, Los Angeles, y'all out.
treat us, but they'll never take us from Jesus. He'll never let them defeat us. They know that they'll never beat us. God works away on my evil. Turn me into a believer, you better believe it. Put some more time on my meter. I cannot wait till we meet them. They cannot kill us, stop us, or condemn us. They want us living like we ain't the winners. They keep on trying to tell us they don't never help us, cause we all a bunch of dirty sinners. It go up on my side, all this way on my mind. Don't you try bring up my past, cause God erased my timeline. I'll be fine. Ready for war, I put it all up on the line. Too scared to fight, then go let David kill Goliath. Walk through the valley, but the Lord is by my side. He heard my cry. Hold me down, 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 hold me down. KBSK Rebel Alliance News Los Angeles We've invented cars that drive themselves and 3D printers that build prosthetic arms and legs. We've successfully transplanted hearts and lungs. Now it's time to end Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is on track to cost the nation nearly $1 trillion by 2050. We can either be known for having the most expensive disease in history or for putting an end to it. Ask Congress to join the fight at alz.org slash time to end ALZ. KBSK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. Skinner, but you heard Police Chief Daryl Albert of Montgomery, Alabama. He said, don't come here with that retaliation mindset. We will not allow that behavior in that city. Leonard Skinner is an American rock band formed in Jackson, Florida, Jacksonville, Florida. The group originally formed as My Backyard in 1964 and comprised of Ronnie Van Zant, Gary Rosenton, Alan Collins, Larry Junstrom and Bob Burns. On October 20th, 1977, the band boarded a charter plane bound for Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but never made it due to the plane running out of fuel and crashing into a heavily forested 
area. Killed on impact were Ronnie Van Zant and five others. Leonard Skinner used a Confederate flag from 1970s until the 2010s, and several criticisms have been raised against them because of this. While promoting the album on CNN on September 9, 2012, members of the band talked about its discontinued use of Confederate imagery. In September 2012, the band briefly did not display the Confederate flag, which had for years been part of their stage show because they did not want to be associated with races that adopted the flag. However, after protests from fans, they reversed this decision, citing it as part of their Southern American heritage and states' rights symbolism. The band will later cease use of the Confederate flag, starting with their 2019 tour. In studio at KPFK 90.7 FM, the weather is humid, drizzling at 75 degrees. With the weekend forecast shows mid-80s for Saturday and Sunday. The Apple Weather Weekend forecast for our sister stations in Southern California, mid-70s in San Diego, high-70s in Santa Barbara, with Ridgecrest China Lake 97 degrees on Saturday and 100 degrees on Sunday. Now, some international news. Well, it appears that Mexico will not be one of the next bricks in the wall. That, according to Mexico's president, Don DeBar discusses the geopolitical thinking behind President Almo's decision announced earlier this week with journalist Stephen Sefton in Nicaragua. Today we take our weekly trip to Latin America and the Caribbean to speak with journalist Stephen Sefton in Nicaragua about what's going on in the region. This week we're covering a recent announcement by Mexico's president that Mexico will not seek to join the BRICS group of countries. Stephen, welcome. Yeah, and that's a very interesting um, a, a, a point to discuss, Don, because I'm, personally I'm not surprised that... Um, uh, uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador has made this uh, declaration, this announcement that Mexico doesn't intend to continue um, uh, trying to become a member of the of the BRICS group. Um, because I mean, he's he over the last couple of years he's made several very clear statements that he wants to try and consolidate relationships within the Americas and consolidate relationships between um, Latin America and uh, the United States and Canada. And so it doesn't really come as a, as a, as a, a surprise that um, he's made this uh, announcement about Mexico not being especially interested in joining the BRICS or not being interested at all, but and the, the, there's a very there's obviously a very strong commercial relationship uh, 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 or, or reason that that underlies that um, that decision because and it would be very difficult in just in practical terms for Mexico to kind kind of try and extend its its relations across to 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 China and Russia and India um, and Brazil when the United States is by far its main trading partner and something like seventy percent of um, of of Mexico's trade is with the the United States and so. You know, there, there's that strong practical reason, and, and there's also the political reason that he doesn't want to gratuitously 
create difficulties for Mexico's relationships with the United States, which of course are extremely important. And it's there, the United States is its huge neighbors to the north. They have all, 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 all these uh, commercial and um, uh, political reasons, like the, the the issue of how how best to try and impose or or organize some kind of humane control over over mi mi migratory movements between Mexico and the United States. There's 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 a whole set of reasons, um, including financial reasons, I should imagine as well, why. Uh, Mexico is more interested in prioritizing its relationship, not just with the United States, but also with its other Latin American partners. Yeah. And so, the, the but some the, the the issue is the issue of sovereignty, um, which is absolutely fundamental, and and whether uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador is being at all realistic in thinking that. He will, he, as opposed to so many other uh, efforts in the past, um, is likely to be successful in uh, modifying United States policy towards the region. Maybe he thinks that the timing is right to try and get some kind of modification of the traditional United States uh, extremely aggressive foreign policy intervening in the region in all kinds of ways. Um, maybe he thinks that he can do better than uh, recent history might su might suggest that he will. But I mean, that, 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 that is definitely an issue for, um, for the region. And I think it ties into something else that ha has been happening in the region um, over the last few days, and that is this big conference to defend the Amazon. Um, which was uh, uh, in which some I think it's nine a total of nine countries that uh, uh, occupy some part of the Amazon took part in this uh, regional summit to try and work out how to protect the resources of the Amazon and defend the resources of the Amazon, and that too has to do with uh, the issue of. Uh, national sovereignty and, and regional autonomy in the face of efforts by not just the United States, but also the European Union to try and in, intervene themselves in the issue of environmental protection, That at least that's the pretext, in, in the Amazon. So this recent announcement by um, uh, Andres Manuel López Obrador uh, in relation to the decision by Mexico to prioritize its relations with uh, the United States and the rest of the Americas. And I think that does, is, is relevant to tie into the issue of how the regional countries concerned intend to defend the resources of, of, of the Amazon. This Amazon conference is the first one in 14 years, apparently. Yeah. And it has some considerable buy-in from President Lula, which is an important aspect because a very good part of the Amazon basin is located within Brazil. Um, and um, but another piece of context is if, if you're looking at uh, you know the different blocks. So I mean, Mexico is kind of you know looking at perhaps trying to put one foot in uh, each of the two spheres of uh, economic 
you know, construction, whatever, um, by maybe sticking a few toes into uh, the BRICS in one way or another. I mean, there's certainly plenty of connections between Mexico and the members anyway, Brazil, for example. Um, but uh, Mexico is would be a, 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 a relatively large player in the BRICS uh, countries. It, it's... it's um, Kind of on par with Brazil in terms of the size of the economy. It's about the eighty percent in terms of GDP, um, and uh, maybe half of India, uh, larger or no, about on par with Russia also, uh, and, and right. much larger than South Africa. And, and then right. looking looking around this hemisphere, you know, Mexico is up there. You got Brazil and Argentina and Mexico. Um, and uh, the U.S. and Canada. Um, you know, Canada is, uh, you know, at about the same size as Brazil in terms of its economy. Um, and again, uh, Mexico is about eighty percent of that, um, and Argentina is about uh, half of uh, Mexico. So, you know, they're they're a significant player in in either case. And you're right. And and but in 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 terms of of the practicalities, it might be worth pointing out that China China is uh, Mexico's second second biggest trading partner, as I understand it, after the United States, but by a long way. Um, but so so from Mexico's point of view, they might be saying to themselves, well, we have good relationships with Brazil, we have good relationships with China, we have this. Uh, in very important relationship for us of primary importance with the United States and to a lesser extent Canada. So why are we going to rock the boat by joining uh, BRICS, which might not give us any special advantage, certainly in the short term? Um, so so why should we be worrying about that now? And and I I, I think over time. It's possible that that position will. Change as they see that they're not likely. To. Uh, to be able to develop their economic relationships with the. United States much more than they than they have already, at least in terms that will be advantageous to them. So maybe in three, four, five years' time, they may may well be looking again at the possibility of developing better relations with uh, certainly with India, for example, perhaps not with South Africa, but certainly with India, China, and uh, and the Russian Federation. They may well decide that it's in their interest to try and explore joining BRICS at that point when they can see that there's not much value to be added by uh, the, their, to their relationship with the United States and Canada. Well, um, time, time will tell, but for the moment, that's their decision. And for my part, I think it's worth pointing out that there, there's been a, a lot of excitement and what I regard as froth around, you know, the speculation about possible expansion of the BRICS group. Um, and I think the, this uh, uh, reminder by uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador that that you know it's not it's not necessarily something that 
every country of, of any size is going to be interested in is 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 worth you know I mean it's a it's a dose of reality to the um the idea that uh that there may be some relatively rapid way to expand BRICS in a way that's going to uh, accelerate the emergence of a new world order that we all hope hope for. To put a button on that, because we're, we've run out of time, uh, I'll use uh, 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 AMLO's words, President AMLO's words. He said, our program is to bolster the treaty with the U.S. and Canada for us to consolidate as a region because we are going to pursue the integration of the entire Americas in the medium and long term. But we will change old policies that haven't worked and, in addition, convince the political class, above all in the United States, of the importance of Latin America. In other words, basically, the pursuit of the integration of, uh, of the Americas, not as a, a colony of the United States, but in the fashion that they've been developing it, or, you know, basically in the Hugo Chavez and post-Chavez period, is the main uh, goal for, uh, for AMLO, for Mexico, and and for many of the other uh, nations in this hemisphere, and that positions that those countries on the global stage in a much better position than they are at the present. And I can understand what, why he's prioritizing it. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I think that's true not just for um, for AMLO, but I should imagine that that's the point of view also of uh, President Lula of Brazil. Yep, I bet it is. All right, so thanks a lot. We're going to have to end it here. And we'll speak with you and uh, hopefully Camilla again next week. And uh, it's great to hear your voice. Thanks a million, Don. Look forward to it. Same. Thank you, Stephen. For KPFK, I'm Don DeBar. This is KPFK Rebel Alliance News, and I am Angela Birdsaw. Thanks, Don DeBar, for that international report. We are in our membership fund drive. Yes, August, summertime. And we have a wonderful premium for you guys to wrap your ears around the largest and most comprehensive collection of historic audio ever compiled by Pacific Radio Archives. Now available on a single USB memory drive. For a donation of $250, you will receive Voices That Changed the World, a USB flash drive full of Pacifica Archive, 1,300 hours, 1,300 hours of speeches and what have you. So you want to get one for yourself, for your children, your grandchildren, your local library, your favorite school, your favorite community-based organization. If you are without children like me, you may want to give it to your nieces, nephews, um, next-generation cousins, their parents, etc., right? So share the gift with this one-of-a-kind gift compiled by Pacifica Radio Archives. 1,300 hours of meticulously curated audio covering a dozens and dozens of topics that will inspire, challenge, entertain, and educate a true fulfillment of Pacifica Radio's mission statement. Go to kpfk.org, pledge securely online, or call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. I remember the number this time. Okay, well, here is today's international news from sources outside of the NATO-controlled media sphere with Polina Vasiliev.
For KPFK's Rebel Alliance News, here are your international highlights from sources outside of the NATO-controlled media sphere. The leaders of eight Amazon rainforest countries are meeting for the first time in 14 years in Brazil during the fourth summit of the Amazon Cooperation Treaty Organization. Telesource Gladys Casada reports. Tuesday, heads of state and high officials of South American nations gathered in Belém, the capital of the Brazilian state of Pará, in the fourth Amazon summit. The event is headed by Brazilian President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva and is attended by the eighth presidents of the countries of the Amazon Cooperation Treaty Organization. At the two-day summit, the governors and environment ministers will aim to strengthen environmental protection mechanisms and halt deforestation in the Amazon by 2030, as well as develop sustainable development policies for the countries of the region. And also in keeping with a suggestion by the Brazilian President Lula da Silva that parallel to the two-day Amazon summit that there will be a gathering of representatives of the Amazon Aboriginal or Indigenous populations. A march has been organized from the Botanic Garden of the city of Belen to the site where the summit is taking place to hand over a series of requests to the president of the countries that share the Amazon. Thank you in the studios. Here we are at the city of Belen, state capital of Parat, which is hosting this Pan Amazon summit, but it is also hosting a march of the peoples representing all the communities that inhabit the Amazon, people who advocate for the conservation of the flora and fauna. We are joined now by Nazare Flores, who has come all the way from Bolivia to take part in this march of the peoples of the land. Thank you so much, Nazare, for speaking for Telesur. I would like to know which are the demands the people would like the president of the countries of the Amazon region to address. Thank you very much. We, as coordinators of the Amazon Basin, we would like certain rights to be respected, like safeguard and territorial security, the preservation of the Amazon, because we live inside the Amazon, where we indigenous peoples have every resource that we need for living. So what we're asking from the government is that they take into account our request that the Amazon be protected. We have a motto that goes, ED for 2025. That is that 80% of the Amazon be protected from deforestation by the year 2025. That mining should stop. We do not want to see any more mining activity polluting our rivers, our forests. So it is very important for us to be here in Berlin demonstrating so that the governments take our demands into account. Count. What are your expectations about this meeting? Do you think they would be making actual decision at that level? Of course we have every expectation that our respective governments may take all our demands into account, not just the ones we have made from our organization, but the demands of all the people here protesting and demanding that nature be protected. We do hope they will take our requests into account. The West African country of Niger has been hit with more sanctions. This time, neighboring Nigeria has added a list of restrictions to the sanctions already imposed on Niger by the West African bloc ECOWAS. Economic sanctions against Niger come despite it being one of the most impoverished countries in the world. Roughly a third of its 27 million people live in extreme poverty. An estimated 2 million children are in need of aid. The restrictions imposed on Niger by ECOWAS are border closures, and naturally it's the locals who are the first to suffer. 
I call on the workers of Niger to take this situation very seriously because for us, closing the borders does not help anyone. We work with neighboring countries such as Mali and Benin, and if the borders are closed, it's not good for anyone. Borders are closed. It's a big problem. We hope for a quick solution and we ask God to bring us peace and we understand our authorities. The ECOWAS decision to close the borders is not a good one. Food was already expensive. Now it's even more expensive. We really need help to get access to food. It's essential to our well-being. Timothy Obiezo is a reporter based in Abuja, Nigeria. He says there is a sentiment of solidarity with the people of Niger who largely support the new military government. There's a sense of solidarity that we've seen, you know, not only in Nigeria. It's something that is kind of widespread across many countries in Africa. Not that, for instance, Mali and Burkina Faso pledge to support them. So this this form of solidarity, it's not something that we've seen in the past. And um, I want to believe that what uh, could have spurred such move is um, the people of Niger are basically saying that they are in search of a new direction you know they're saying that they've basically not seen the benefits of you know uh what the leadership the the, the current leadership of the country um you know what they, they basically haven't seen a lot of benefit from the current leadership of the country niger is among the poorest countries in the world and um it's been battling a lot of economic and security problems and um these are the reasons why you know i believe these um, um people who have marched severally on the streets demonstrating and um, pledging their allegiance and support for the military hunter. These are the reasons why I think, you know, they, the, the military is um, gaining this form of um, support and d- despite sanctions, despite um, calls by the international community to, you know, return power uh, uh, to President Mohamed Bazoum. But the people basically believe that the military could move things or make things better in the coming days. So this is why there is this level of support. An Iraqi woman who went viral on social media attempting to save a Quran from desecration in Denmark has been identified. Press TV's Robert Carter has traveled to Denmark to meet with her and filed this report. The Arab woman who took on two far-right activists in a bid to save a Quran from desecration in Denmark has been identified. Iraqi Danish citizen Quds al-Samarai risked her own life while en route to visit a friend on Monday the 24th of July. The footage of the incident which occurred outside Iraq's embassy went viral on social media. The video clearly shows Quds grabbing the Quran before being wrestled to the ground by the two men. In one instance, one of the desecrators can be seen with his hands reaching for her neck. Police later arrested Quds on accusations she was stealing the Quran from the activists. Speaking to Press TV, Quds explained how the incident left her with minor injuries but no regrets. Here the police dragged me and the man was shouting that I stole his property. I think he was scared because he knew hitting me was wrong, so he had to justify it by saying I stole. As soon as the police heard the word stealing, they immediately put me in handcuffs and gave him back the Quran. The police asked me what happened. I said I saw our Quran being burned. 
and I just wanted to put it out, and then I saw another Quran with shoes on it, and I wanted to take the shoe off, but I didn't realize that the shoe was nailed on the Quran. I told the police they hit me and strangled me, but they replied with, it's their freedom of speech. So I replied, okay, so it's also my freedom of speech to protect the Quran. I thought the police came to help me, but they turned out to twist the story by saying I was trying to steal. Goods now faces a day in court, while her injuries have left her struggling to walk. Meanwhile, Muslims across the world remain in a state of anger as calls for serious action and retaliation to Europe's defense of far-right hate speech continues. Despite Copenhagen officially condemning the incident which occurred just where we stand outside Iraq's embassy a few days ago, that doesn't mean that they've outlawed the practice. And according to reports, several other similar incidents have already occurred since, with far-right activists again targeting the diplomatic buildings of Muslim-majority nations here in the Danish capital. However, this has come at a price. Denmark's defense of the so-called free speech of far-right activists to attack Islam's holy sanctities has led to both Denmark and Sweden's reputation to plummet across the Muslim world. Questions should surely be asked now whether it is indeed within the diplomatic interests of European countries to defend such a fringe extremist practice when of course there is so much at stake with economic backlashes from the Muslim world. And that's all in today's international highlights from non-NATO media. For KPFK, I'm Paulina Vasilyev. KPFK, Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. What it is, KPFK, I'm Angela Birdsong, and here is your Rebel Alliance News community calendar. The Compton Run Club's 5K for Scholarships event and race is Saturday, August 19th, 7.45 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. at Wilson Park in Compton. Find more details at runsignup.com and look for Find a Race and search for Compton. It's that time of year for back-to-school giveaways. Surf's 12th annual drive through back back to school giveaway well that's a mouthful surf's 12 12th annual drive through back to school giveaway is saturday august 19th 11 a.m to 1 p.m at the city of torrance civic center 3330 civic center drive in torrance go to surf.org that's s-i-e-r-f dot org Tag Team Marketing presents Garvey Nation pre-launch party to learn about the amazing life of Marcus Garvey and the Buy Black movement. This event is online and in person on Friday, August 18th, 7 p.m. Pacific Time at the Holiday Inn, Los Angeles, LAX Airport, 9901 La Cienega Boulevard. For more information about this free event, go to GarveyNation.com and tell them that you heard about it on KPFK. And hear my live interview with Delzino Wilson Delbriano, president of the Buy Black Movement this Saturday on Liberated Sisters on KPFK 90.7 FM at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Margaret Love wants to see your face in the place as she performs and you dance at Roscoe's 
Jazz Lounge, 730 Broadway in Long Beach, Friday, August 18th, 8 p.m. to midnight. Call 562-437-8355 for details. Remember to join Black Women for Wellness for their annual Reproductive Justice Conference. Tomorrow, Black Women Healing from Our Past, Protecting Our Present, and Preparing for Our Future. Thursday, August 10th, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the California Endowment. Learn more about Black Women for Wellness and for details about this event, visit bwwla.org. Okay, save the date, September 9th, for the Alzheimer's Alzheimer's Association California Southern Southland Chapter. They are having part two of Your Mind Matters for a dynamic, interactive panel discussion focused on brain health. September 9th, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the L.A. Alpha House in Los Angeles. And that's it. We are are out of time, you guys. We have so much more to share, but we can't do it today. Not right now. So just want to say thank you for listening to KPFK Rebel Alliance News. Thank you to our Rebel Alliance contributors, our engineer, Wendell Handy. And hope you join us again tomorrow at 6 p.m. Until then, let all that you do be done with love. Have a great day. On Saturday mornings, make sure your dial is set at 90.7 FM KPFK Los Angeles for the Earl Ofari Hutchinson Show. It's an hour filled with news, information, and importantly, your phone calls. So don't miss it every Saturday, 9 a.m., right here on KPFK 90.7 FM and streaming around the globe on kpfk.org.